The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven and the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. Verse 17, sorry, I lost my place. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are, you, are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? This is the word of the Lord. You can take a seat. So if you don't know, we've been going through the gospel of Mark. Um, And it's been really cool because we started from day one asking the question, who is Jesus? Okay, because check it out. Um, There's probably 15 churches in 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 a quarter mile radius around us right now. And we're all kind of going, hey, we want to be about Jesus. And yet, we, we look different, and not, not bad different, but we all look different in different ways, and, and, and maybe some maybe good and bad and whatever it is, but as us as a church, Redemption Peoria, we specifically wanted to say, okay, if we want to be about Jesus, what is Jesus about? Like, what does he do? How does he act? What are the things that he says that we need to focus on? And so we, verse by verse, have been going through the Gospel of Mark because Mark provides a really great opportunity for those who are asking that question. Because you as readers, and and myself as a reader, open up the book of Mark, and what we see immediately is this declaration of who Jesus is. And then he's baptized, and there's this declaration of of who Jesus is. And then Jesus comes on the scene and says who Jesus is. And he does things showing who Jesus is over and over and over. And yet all the while, there's this thread that you slowly begin to notice. No one else besides you knows who who Jesus is. You see, Mark very intentionally writes this this thing in this something called a dramatic irony that you know the story, you know what's going on, but the people in the story don't see what's going on. And so they're asking, who is this guy? Like, what is going on? And so we've seen encounters because from the very beginning, the very first thing that we see that Jesus is all about, the examples that he shows is all about is this kingdom, saying this old age is gone, the new age has come, repent and believe for the kingdom of, hand, the kingdom of God is at hand. And he has shown us over and over and over what that kingdom of God looks like. He's been casting out demons. He's been healing the sick. Last week, very specifically, we read stories that um, we, we've read before. So, you know, someone's healed, a demon is cast out, he feeds the hungry. And we, we've seen this before in Jesus, and very specifically, we wanted to ask the question, who is Jesus in this kingdom? Who's Jesus engaging with? And, and we talked about um, the broken and lost of our neighbors, the broken and lost of our coworkers, family, and so forth. And so um, with that said, um, we're going to pick it up in verse 11. Now, verse 11 makes zero sense unless I summarize verses 1 through 10, um, which you might be familiar if you haven't been um, with us. You, you probably have heard this story before. But there's 4,000 people who are super hungry. Jesus 
does his thing like only Jesus could, right? He takes this, these bread, this bread and a couple fish. He feeds 4,000 people with all this, and everyone's amazed. Everyone's full, uh, full and, it, and it's awesome. Now, picking it up from there, Jesus immediately leaves that place. The disciples were with him when that took, took place. He goes to this other side of the sea, goes to this other place, and as he arrives in that other place, the Pharisees are there to meet him. And we have met the Pharisees over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. We have talked about who they are, where they come from, what they're about, and we've seen all this in the Gospel of Mark. Well, today, we're going to talk a little bit more about them because they come at him, um, they come at him with some beef. So let, let's do this. Verse 11, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. So just to set the mood, this first verse sets the mood really well for us. There's kind of groups of three that you can see. The Pharisees came, began to argue, seeking from him, to test him, okay? So there is immediately, what happens as Jesus arrives is there's some hostility in the air. They're coming to argue with him. They're coming to test him. They're coming after him to look for a sign they want. They have no right, no purpose. Like, hey, Jesus, how are you? How's that? Like, no, no, it's very hostile. And they're coming at him um, in, in this direction, which ironically enough is kind of crazy that the last time somebody actually asked Jesus to show him a sign to test him like this was Satan. Um, Satan tested him uh, in, in the, the desert. So just a, a little side note. Verse 12 says this, and then we're going to read this, and then we're going to um, spend a little time on this because this is going to be helpful. So as they come to seek a sign, it says in verse 12, and he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? So, so they come at him and say, Jesus, all right, like here we are. Like, we've come from Jerusalem. We've come from all the regions around here. We are the religious leaders. Jesus, if you really are not of the devil, which we've accused you of being, and you say you're not, if you're not of the devil, then show us a sign. And Jesus stands there, and he does something really crazy, and what you would just normally read it in passing, but he sighs deeply. Now, now why would Mark put that just like that size? It seems so much like, Okay, so he sighs deeply. We, we actually just saw this, this size in English, um, this, this, this word, this deep breath um, last week. But it's actually this week, it's, it's the same English word, but it's a, a different Greek word. Let, let me, a guy named Kent Hughes wrote specifically about this word because it was an interesting word. He said, uh, this word in Mark eight twelve was used intensely indicated, and it was indicated for strong despair or dismay, grief or indignation, or perhaps even deep pain that the Pharisees would not believe him. Jesus knew that the Pharisees were unbelieving and hostile towards him, which is the reason why he reacted in such a way as he did. Now, now here, the reason I bring this up is because this guy, Kent Hughes, looked at this word and said, there's something more going on. See, Jesus has sighed before when he's seen the brokenness of the world. Jesus has like taken a deep, we're actually told in, in John that he weeps. There's a moment but in this moment, this Greek word, when Jesus sighs deeply, it's this sense of like, you guys, like we've been down this road before. Like, like you've come at me and like, I, I've explained, I, I walked you down this path and you, you don't want to believe. Like, like I've shown you that the best way I can think about this, I'm going to lose the 20 somethings real quick, but there's an old movie ghost. Word up. Anybody? Patrick Swayze. Okay. Now let me get at you real quick. Okay. Let me drop some knowledge on you. Okay. Now, uh, in this movie, Ghost, Patrick Swayze, is it Demi Moore, right? Is that right? Yeah, okay. Patrick Swayze, Demi Moore, they're this couple, and they're, you know, making clay or whatever. I know, let me, <laughs> anyway, okay, so, so, so hear me, hear me. Okay, so Patrick Swayze ends up dying, right? 
And, um, and, and he's dead, and he's kind of this ghost that really wants to communicate um, to, to Demi Moore. I forget her, her name in this, but he wants to communicate to her. Um, and he's trying to reach out, and he can't. So he eventually finds this guy on this subway who's also a ghost, and he explains to him the only way you're going to be able to reach into the real world is to, like, use all of your emotion. He's just, like, this homeless-looking figure that explains to him all this emotion. You have to reach out and be angry and be sad and all these emotions combined. And Patrick Swayze eventually figures this out. And this is the first thing I thought of. I know that's crazy, but this is the first thing I thought of that what's going on in Jesus. There's this immense frustration. There's this sadness. There's this pain. Like, can't, what are you missing? There's this, you guys, like, I love you, but you just keep coming at me and I'm trying to explain these things over and over and over again. And you want a sign from me? Like, like, like you're here to, to test me? And, and, and Jesus sighs deeply and says in his spirit, why does this generation seek a sign? I, I can't help but read this um, very story, this account before we get into um, this whole Levin conversation that ends up happening. Um, but kind of recognize that this totally happens in our culture. Like I've, as a pastor, have really seen this, this take place kind of in two fronts. Um, and, and what's happening with the Pharisees is they, they have seen Jesus do a sign, you guys. Like they've been watching, there, there's no, like they've seen him heal the sick and cast out demons, feed the thousands. They've seen a, a, a sign. What if they're looking for something there? They are intentionally saying, hey, listen, we're going to come to you, but it's going to be on our terms. We want to see something. You need to answer our call. You need to do this. And I've seen this kind of happen two ways um, with us as a culture. The, the first thing is to, to really look at God and have theological differences with God, which the word theological means the study of God, to have, have um, differences about God with God, to look at God and say, uh, yeah, I would follow God, or I'd, I'd, I, I would come to know him, or I'd come to church, maybe if, if he would explain why, uh, why, why, why good people go to hell, like, or, or, or what's his predestined, how could a loving God um, predestine people, and, and is, there's no, and there's this theological, like, you have these rubs, and, and until you get these, yeah, I would believe in him, but it doesn't match up with maybe Darwinian evolution or whatever it is, and you, you have these frustrations, these, these philosophical and theological things that as long as God meets me on my terms, that then will click. And so you kind of stand there and say, well, maybe if you, you show me a sign. It's, it's the same language that, that's going on. There's this on my terms. And, and actually, it's crazy because the second thing is um, that I think is even more prominent in our culture. And it's um, experiential uh, on my terms type of things. It's, uh, yeah, I'd believe in God if, if he didn't take my mom. Like you have this expectation of the way that the world should go. And the moment the world doesn't go that way, you, you, you shake your fist to the heavens and say, why would you do this to me? And, and this, is, this is crazy to me because I've been in rooms where here's a, a girl so angry at God that, that, that God would take her 96-year-old grandmother. And I, it's, a part of me wants to go, she's 96. Like, right? Like there, there's a, a part of that that you, you want to go like, so do you expect no death? No, like, do, is she never going to die? Like, there's this sense that you have the world the way it should go. You didn't get the job you wanted, or why did I grow up like this? How come I had the parents I had? My dad didn't love me. My kids aren't acting. My wife did this way. And there's this experiential rub, like the Pharisees, that you go, if, if God would do it like this, then I would believe in him. And what's crazy is that God, in the flesh, in this moment, looks at these Pharisees and gives a profound answer so he says in verse 12, and he sighed deeply and said in his spirit, why does this generation seek 
a sign. And this is what it says um, at the end of 12 going into 13. Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat, and went to the other side. So Jesus looks at them and says, you want me to do this? And he's frustrated and he's sad and he's angry all at once. You want me to meet you on your terms as if God is some auctioneer in the sky going, okay, I'll explain predestination. If I explain predestination, will you come to me? If I explain why hell isn't, and he's trying, to, you're, he's trying to navigate you. Like if I can just talk them into coming to me, if I give a little more, if I give a little more, but that's not what he is. And Jesus looks at them and says, no, no. I, I have ways and I, I am full of grace. But listen, this is not your show. This is my show. This story is about me. And unless you're willing to come on my terms and understand that you have ways, you have things that you think about, you, you, you have plans, but in the midst of all of that, you have to understand that things are not going to go the way that you wanted them to go and that God does not have to answer your call every time. And maybe, just maybe, if you would trust him, he is answering the call, just not the way that you want him to. And so, it's, so, so Jesus looks at him and says, no, I'm not going to give you a sign. I, I, I'm not going to, to, to reach down in heaven and, and, and wake up your 97-year-old grandma because she's with me and she wins. But you're sad and you're frustrated with me that I get to spend eternity with your grandma all of a sudden. <laughs> so, 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 so we're sure. And, and here, can I just say this very quickly? Um, man, if, if you're not a Christian in here or, or you're, you're questioning Christianity and you're kind of on the fence with all this, man, I would challenge you to think these things through. Like I would get around somebody who maybe is mature in the faith and begin to ask these questions. Because what I have found usually is when I'm talking to somebody who's not a believer, I kind of start the conversation when we really begin to talk about religious things and I go, hey, listen, if I could explain everything to you, like if I could make everything make sense, would you still believe? And 95% of the time, it's a yes, but it's like this. Yeah, I, I think so. Like, so you're telling me if I explained everything to you, it's still a, yeah, maybe. Like, so, 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 so we can see Jesus looks at and goes, no, I've been down that road. People cried out for me and I gave them food. People have cried out for me. I delivered food on birds. I had food grow out of the ground. I had water come out of a rock. And at the end of the day, they still didn't have faith. But I'm different, God. No, no, you're not. No, you're not. Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them got into the boat, and went down to the other side. And then we're going to go, as Jesus gets in this boat, he begins this conversation. I need you to keep that um, context in our mind that he just has this. Mark, Mark plugs this story in. You've got to understand, he's going to plug that, what we just talked about, those couple verses, right in the middle of Jesus feeding 4,000 and Jesus and his disciples talking about 4,000. Why would he plug that little section in there? Why would he sandwich these things in between? This is what he says in verse 14. Now they, talking about the disciples, had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. Now I want to stop, um, because if anybody should not be worried about having bread, it's Jesus' disciples, okay? He has clearly shown the cat's got a monopoly on the bread industry like nobody's business. And, and here he is, they're, they're stressing about bread. It's like a kid who would grow up like the owner of Nike and worry about having shoes. Like, like, no, your dad owns Nike. You're going to have shoes. And here they are like, oh, we forgot a loaf of bread. And I, I'm just go, like, 
you forgot a loaf of bread? Are you, what are you worried about? Like, just take a, a crumb of bread, and the dude will, will turn it into a feast. And so, here, so here's, here's uh, this, this account, which I think is, is hilarious to me. But he goes on to say this in verse 15. And he cautioned them, saying, and we just read this, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, let me preface what I'm about to say, okay? Because we're about to read a section of verses that parallels itself in Mark, uh, or in Matthew. So the same story that we're about to read, the same verses that we're about to read in Mark are also in Matthew. And at the end of the section of verses in Matthew, um, this is what it says. Let me just read verse 12 to you. Then they understood. This is everything we're going to talk about. Then they understood that he did not uh, tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So the reason I say that is because Matthew says, whatever we're about to talk about, it's not about bread. Okay? Now, that may be obvious, but I just want to make this clear. Everything we're going to talk about, Jesus is trying to engage them on something more than bread. And they're worried about bread. They're, 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 they're tripping out about, uh, about bread, but, but um, he's going to go on and say that this is not the issue. And he says, I'm going to read it again. Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So here's, here's what I want to do. Um, most of us probably don't know what leaven is. So Jesus looks at his disciples as they're worrying about bread. And he says, hey, guys, listen to me real quick. Um, I need you to beware of the leaven, okay? Just stop. Before he says of what kind of leaven, I need you to beware of this leaven. Now, in the Jewish mind, um, their mind immediately, you, you have to understand the history of leaven. And this, this is not, a lot of us don't even know what leaven is. I'll explain that in a second. But when they hear leaven, um, their minds immediately are going to go to the time where, where God, in all of his beauty, and I'll explain how I know this, um, God, in all of his beauty, rescued the Egyptians. They were in slavery, okay? The, the, uh, rescued the Israelites. They were in slavery to the Egyptians. And, and as soon as God rescues them, he tells them to start doing all these things. But one of the things he tells them to do is remove all the leaven. Leaven is um, like, it's, it's something that would ferment dough or change dough. It, 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 um, it's what we, I mean, I would use the word yeast, but it's not exact. Yeast would be a part of leaven. But um, I remember Candace, would, when she used to make uh, pizza crust, but she's gluten-free now, so we never eat any type of bread. Um, okay, so... Um, she would, she would make this dough, and she'd put it in the kitchen, kitchen aid, kitchen maid, whatever it's called. And um, the, I remember the dough, like she'd put it in, and it would be huge. The yeast would cause it to rise. It would change um, the dough that she was working with. And, and, and God said, I want you to remove all the leaven. I want you to remove all this yeast out of your house. Take it all of your house for one week, and don't eat anything that has leaven in it. Because, and this is, he's telling the, the Israelites this, because I want you to pretend for a second that leaven or yeast symbolizes sin. It, it, it symbolizes this old way of the Egyptians, and I want you to go without leaven for this week. Now, that sounds weird, okay? Um, but, but this is exactly where their mind's going to go to. Um, leaven represents sin. Matter of fact, uh, uh, matzo is the Hebrew word for unleavened bread. So when you eat matzah bread, you're just eating unleavened bread. And that's the only type of bread that they would eat. And this is the same way the Jewish mind would go there, the same exact way that if I said, hey, um, my family and I, uh, are going to get together around the table and eat a nice turkey dinner with mashed potatoes and uh, we're going to eat stuffing and uh, we're going to eat cranberry sauce and, and whatever it is. Now, I did not tell you, but when I described that meal, your mind, maybe, hopefully, immediately went to Thanksgiving. Like we're going to have, we're going to have, I didn't say Thanksgiving. I just described the food on the table. And this is the same exact way. We celebrate Thanksgiving and remembering this day that happened in our history. When you say turkey and stuffing, I go to Thanksgiving. And when they hear leaven, they go to the Passover. They go to G, they go to God saving them out of Egypt. And so this is a, this is a big deal because he says, beware of this leaven. 
Okay? Now, um, here's why they, they should be aware of this leaven. And I'll, we're going to talk specifically about this leaven. Because God is trying to teach them, we read in Matthew, right? That leaven, you could put a little bit of leaven in bread. Just a little bit. And what leaven does, let's, let's use yeast specifically, it feeds, um, and I might totally be wrong on this. I read all this on websites. Um, uh, it, it feeds it feeds on sugars and things in the bread until it eventually takes over all of the bread. As a matter of fact, um, because people couldn't afford yeast, what they would do in, in the, the, the first century and before is as they're getting ready to put the, this, this uncooked bread into the oven or on the fire, whatever it is, um, they would pinch off, a, pinch off a piece of this uncooked bread, and then they would get all the other things and allow the yeast in this uncooked bread to grow in. So matter of fact, if you know the term friendship bread, like if you guys have ever heard this term friendship bread, it's the same exact idea. That that's a, this is because they recognize what yeast does when it hits dough is there's no stopping it. Like you better get rid of it because it's going to take over the dough. Okay? And, and Jesus in this moment is, hey, I'm telling you about something, and you equate this with removing a sin. I'm saying beware, too. Beware and watch out of leaven. Because as he would tell uh, Cain, sin is crouching at your door, and it, oh, it desires to overtake you. That sin is not something that can be kept, but you need to be careful because yeast is going to enter, and it's going to slowly but surely take over who you are. Now, here's the question. What kind of leaven, if this is all spiritual, if we're not really talking about bread, what kind of leaven are we talking about? And Jesus gives us two figures, and they could not be more diametrically opposed, these two figures. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So um, we know who the Pharisees are, and we've actually ran into Herod. If you've been in the Gospel of Mark, Herod is the dude who had John the Baptist killed. Um, he's a political leader. He's a political ruler, and the dude loves to party. He loves to get down, okay? His name is Herod, and he loves to party. And so he, um, I'm sorry. Uh, so so here's, here, here's Herod. Here, here's, here's the Pharisees, and, and, and Jesus says, beware of, of, of both of these parties. Beware of both these things. And Herod has uh, this group called the Herodians. And matter of fact, if you go back to Mark 3, it was the Pharisees and the Herodians who team up to try to trick Jesus. And if you fast forward into chapter 13, it's the Pharisees and the Herodians who team up to try to kill Jesus. So who are these groups that Jesus is saying beware of? Because the truth is, everything we know about Herod and the Herodians is licentiousness. That you do what you want. We live in this political world, and I got this show on, but, but essentially, I'm going to party. Matter of fact, when John the Baptist was going to be killed, Herod didn't really want to do it, but he's there pleasing man because his room, his banquet hall is full of people. He's partying. I mean, he is to the Pharisees, the opposite side, the very epitome of sin. He's eating things he shouldn't eat. He's saying things he shouldn't say. He's watching things he shouldn't watch. And the Pharisees would look at him and say, no, 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 that's sin. And Jesus holds Herod up, the Herodians in this moment, and then he also holds the Pharisees up. But the Pharisees are the exact opposite of the Herodians. The Pharisees, by, every, by all, all rights and purposes, live their life in such a way that they are living the epitome of self-denial. Like, it's not just drink, party, for tomorrow we die. It's, it's no, I'm going to be self-disciplined. I'm not going to do... So, so what in this moment, why would Jesus lump these two together? No pun intended, bread. Um, why, why would Jesus put these two together? Because the, the two things, the, the one thing that these two parties have in common is that they both hate Jesus. See, see, for the Herodians, they look at Jesus and say, um, you can't tell me what to do. 
Matter of fact, they're, they're so pissed at Jesus at the end that they're trying to kill him because Jesus says, no, 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 that's wrong. Just like John the Baptist, I'm telling you, you cannot do what you're doing right now. That's wrong. You live a life that, that you think over and over, you can sleep with who you want to, you could do what you want to, but in the end, this is wrong. And so they hate Jesus. And the Pharisees hate Jesus the same exact way that the, that the Herodians hate Jesus, but for the opposite reason. Because Jesus looks at them and says, wait a minute. You think just because you don't do what the Herodians do, you're right? You think because you avoid music and movies and in some occasions walking for them and foods they eat and different days and they, because they, they apply certain rules and laws, you think that, that you in some way have earned my love? You're wrong. And, and, and both parties are stuck here going, I hate Jesus. Because on this side, that the party that hates Jesus is Jesus is not coming to them on their terms. Jesus, come party with me. Like, it's okay. Jesus loves me. I can sleep with my girlfriend. I can sleep with my boyfriend. He, he loves me. Listen, he, he absolutely loves you. But let's not get it twisted. What you're doing is wrong. Now, now on this side, oh, no, no, no. Like, I can play the game. Because some of us, the Pharisees are perfect. And, and, and I think... More of our congregation uh, represents to this side than that side. Um, because he, he, here's the deal. Uh, you realize somewhere along the line that maybe, man, you, you could actually go a week without reading your Bible and still come to church and act chipper. And like no one will know, right? You could, you could be addicted to, to pornography. But, but as long as you have that show on, as, as, long as, as long as you're saying the right things and you use terms like missional and, and, and you can find Ezekiel in your Bible and you fast a day a week, then, then suddenly you think that God is in your debt. And both parties on both sides are saying, God comes to me on my terms. And they both hate Jesus because he looks at them and says, no. No. And so I, I, I don't know in this moment um, what side you would find on, but what Jesus, he, he warns us twice, beware, watch out, that, that this does not just happen. Both sides of these, uh, uh, these, this coin does not happen just instantly. You don't just wake up um, from going, yeah, like I, I just, um, you know, I just hang out with some buddies and, and whatever. And then uh, on Friday and then on Saturday night, you're, you're doing heroin. Like that doesn't, like you don't just flip over and all of a sudden move to the extreme. What Jesus says is, <laughs> this is slow. You allow leaven to get in. And suddenly what turned from a kiss to making out to first base to second base to, to third base to home plate. And now it's every night home plate. And now it's not enough. And, and, and now it's with two girls. And now, and now suddenly well, that, that yeast that has gotten in has slowly but surely taken over the bread. And the same is true on this side. Man, the same is true on this side. That for, for you, you, you figure out slowly but surely that, that I can do a little bit. I, I can earn, I, I can earn. And though my relationship with Jesus started so fresh, now I am suddenly, as Galatians 3, like moved by, as he would say, witchcraft. Someone has bewitched you. Someone has, has shown you somewhere along the way that though you started in the spirit, you're now trying to work it out in the flesh. That you know Jesus saved you. But now suddenly, every time you mess up, you have to work harder. You have to, to, to make your knuckles wider. You have to uh, pull up your bootstraps higher. You have to work. And you have to work, and you have to work. And Jesus says, no, no. And like yeast, it slowly but surely takes you over. Until you wake up and you are the Pharisee, or you are the Herodian. And you slowly get offended by what Jesus is saying and what Jesus is doing. He goes on to say this. The leaven of the Pharisees and Herod... Um, 
We just talked about all that. And then he goes on to say in verse 16, and they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. (laughs) Okay, so Jesus pours out his heart to them. And here, Peter and and Andrew, and they're all sitting there. And Jesus is like, you guys, listen, I I need you to watch out because you can become a legalist. Um, You can, the the world is like vying for your attention. I promise you, it's, it's, it's like Neverland, man. It's trying to make you forget what the real world is like. And it's trying to get you stuck in here. Please, like, don't get lost in this. Please hear me. It, it, you can succumb to this. And Jesus is pouring out the heart that they would not allow leaven to slowly take him over. And, he hear, and the disciples hear that. And Peter goes, so we're out of bread. Okay. And Jesus is like, what? Okay. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? And when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said 12. And the seven for the 4,000. How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Yesterday, um, Eve got this, and appreciate my mother-in-law getting her this, this unbelievably annoying book um, that every time she hits a button, it makes a noise. Um, It's going to be a bath toy. How many parents do that whenever a toy? Okay. (laughs) Let's bring it in the bath, Eve. That would be so much fun. Oh, my gosh. It doesn't work anymore. Okay. So, so um, Titus is all about this book, and Titus is trying to play this piano on this book, and, and, um, and then Corbin, you know, he's seven. Somehow they're playing with this two-year-old book, and they're playing, and then Eve comes in, like she's the boss, and she tries to rip it, and they're fighting over this book, right? And so you probably have kids, and I bring them over, and this is exactly what I image, uh, put in my mind when I think of these disciples standing before Jesus, and I go, Titus, blah, 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 blah. Did you take this? Were you? Yes. Okay. Corbin, were, were you not sharing? Yes. Evie, she's like walking away, Um, okay? And here's the disciples being asked these questions by Jesus. Hey, do you remember? Yeah, we remember Jesus. How many loaves? 12 loaves. Do you remember the four? Yes, we remember. How how, how many? Seven, okay. Do you not get it? Like Jesus, do you not understand that we're talking more about bread? You're worried, just like the Pharisees, about the here, the now, the show, the physical, living it. But I'm telling you, when I fed them, I was doing more than just feeding them. I'm trying to explain to them that as I give them life, I am the bread of life. Don't you see this? Or are, are, are you missing this? And slowly but surely, you can see that Jesus is trying to plead with these guys to not fall into these camps. Don't miss this. He's doing things that you need to be aware of. You know what's crazy about this whole conversation? Um, Ralph Hook, I think, is, is his name. I, I don't like baseball at all, but um, uh, because I'm a sports fan, I'm, I'm forced to watch t- the top 10 highlights. Right now is the worst time of year. Um, it's only baseball. Uh, and ultimate frisbee can't. It's crazy. Okay. Um, no basketball, no football, no any. I would take women's golf at this point. Um, Okay, so, I know, uh, okay, don't, don't write me an email on that one, okay. Um, but but here, here's what's crazy. In the early 1900s, um, the baseball schedule was a little different. There was actually a lot of doubleheaders, so they would play two games a day, maybe two or three times a week. And, and players, this uh, Ralph Hook had this kind of strategy, because players would come to him, and he was the coach of the Yankees at the time, and he would, they would say, hey, like, um, I'm really tired. We've played like four days in a row. Last night, we, we played a game in the, at night and then the game in the morning before that. And I'm, I'm really tired. And, and 
And Hook w- would, would look at them, and he'd say, okay, totally get it. Um, do me a favor. Um, I put you on the starting line up, lineup. Just start the first inning, and then, and then I'll take you out after that, and I'll replace you, okay? And he did this because he knew inevitably the player would end up playing the whole game because once he got caught up in the spirit of the game, he knew it would slowly but surely take him over. Like if they're real athletes and they're real ball players, they don't care how tired they are. They're playing baseball all of a sudden and they love playing baseball. They knew they would forget their bodies. They would forget the reality in which they're living in that their body is broken. And yeast is doing this to both sides. It's just saying, well, like, if you can just walk this path out just for a little bit longer and you, for some reason, believe the lie that sleeping with your girlfriend or sleeping with your boyfriend or, or, or looking at that woman or having these conversations, just casual conversations with someone in the workplace, that, that's not doing anything. That's not a big problem. And I'm telling you, you're being lied to because you're just playing one inning. But you're going to get caught up in that, and it's going to pull you in like a tractor beam. And before you know it, you're doing what you would have said a year ago you would never do. And the same is true on this side. No, I'm not a legalist. I, I don't come to church because I, I, I need to earn it. But then suddenly, like you find yourself, w- when you have a sin, you're not confessing it. Like when, when, you're, when you're in a broken place, you're not admitting it. And I've said over and over and over, listen, the only sin we're okay with is the sin you're not okay with. So you can have sin in your life as long as you're not okay with that sin in your life. We're all broken and we are everything, everything, everything. We're, we're, we're uh, adulterers. We, we, we have people who are dealing with pornography. We have people who are greedy, who are angry, who are licentious, who are legalists. We are everything but liars. We're at least willing to admit that we have these broken things about us and we desperately, desperately need help. And this is the call for Jesus for us, that we, would, that we would be wise and that we would look at both sides and say, where am I landing? Because some days I feel like a legalist and some days I'm doing what I want, but, but both sides hate Jesus. And Jesus, ironically enough, is the answer. Everything you're, you're striving for, everything you're looking for, no matter what side it is, Jesus is the answer. Before I pray, I want to read something to you because I don't want to leave you out on a, on a lurch here. Um, I'm going to read this to you. It's in Colossians chapter 3. And I think the question that needs to be asked is, um, how do I not go to either one of these sides? Like how do I, if I am on one of these sides, like a Herodian or like a Pharisee and leaven has slowly crept in, how do I begin to get rid of this? And I don't want to leave you without somewhat of a practical application. And if you have your Bible, you can turn to Colossians 3. It's towards the end of your Bible. Um, good way to remember it is, is go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, okay? Um, Colossians chapter 3. Um, they don't have it for the, the text, but I'm just going to read it to you. They don't have it on the screen. So if you don't have a Bible, you can just listen. This is what it says. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So I want to read verse 1 again because I, I, I think there's two things that I want to grab for this before we pray. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. So, so the, the first declaration in this is, is for him to say, hey, if you do know Jesus, then you need to begin to seek the things that are not on this plateau, that are not on this earth. And, and the reason I say that is because what the yeast is doing is it's exactly, getting, it's exactly like getting caught in a rip current. That when we get caught in this, we, a rip current is in the ocean, all the waves are coming in, but at a, 
the waves eventually, some water has to get out, and so it creates this, this tide, this riptide, down the middle, and it pulls all the water back out to the ocean. If you get caught in this riptide, you're being pulled out, and you can struggle all you want to get out. You, you, you can continue to try to swim towards shore, but that current's going to pull you further and further and further along. And the only way to get out is to intentionally stop for a moment, stop fighting, think about where you are, and either swim to this side or swim to this side out of that rip current. You, you have to be intentional to go, I can strive all I want against this tide, but the reality is I need to go over here where the waves are bringing me in. And in this moment, he's going to say, if you've already been raised with Christ, don't stop seeking Christ. Continue to seek the things of Christ. You have to be intentional. You, every time your heart goes to a legalist, legalist tendency, you have to go, why am I doing this? Why am I reading my Bible? Why am I praying? Every time I'm, I'm, I'm making a call, a booty call, or whatever, I'm going to go over to her house, I'm going to go do, you're, you're, not, you're not being intentional because some of you want to stop sinning and some of you want to want to stop sinning. Like, like some of you go, yeah, I, I want to stop doing this. No, listen, if you really, really wanted to stop doing this, then you, you would have someone hold you desperately accountable. You would say, hey, I need you to call me because I'm hanging out. You would be intentional about what you were doing. You would intentionally swim to this way or this way and stop trying to do it on your own up the riptide. But the second thing that I think is more apt, which would bring us to Jesus to finish, is uh, the tenses in this. When I say tenses, I mean past, present, and future. For us to get out of having the leaven take us over, for us to get out of this yeast growing in us and legalistic tendencies and, and, and uh, licentious tendencies, we have to not just be intentional, but we have to remember um, these tenses, which is quite beautiful. In, in verse 1 it says, If then you have been raised with Christ. There is this declaration for the first part by Paul. There is a past tense. And then he says this, what? Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand above, uh, of God. Uh, hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So seek and set the present tense. So we have this past tense, but then he's saying now because of the past, do what you're doing in the present for you have died. There's this past tense and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And so here's, here's, here's my um, last plea with you that you and me as Christians, the only way we're going to stop sin of legalism and sin of licentiousness, having a license to do whatever we want is to recognize eternity is to see that there is more than just now. See, th- th- this, this is the, the, the big thing with the homosexuality talk, guys. Like, this is the issue that, um, that we don't tell people that they need to stop being gay because um, we think it's gross or because we're afraid or because we hate them or because our country's going to fall. This is not the reason. The, the, the reason that, that, that it hurts so bad to watch these things take place is because we recognize that these people that we love are going down a path that God would say sin, and sin brings pain, and we don't want anyone to go through pain. And so in this moment, like, the, the, the reality is we, we view this whole conversation. I know we'll talk about this in a couple months, but we view this, all, this huge conversation in the confines of, of one reality that right now is not what's most important. Why can't you just allow people to be happy? Because right now is not what's most important. Their happiness is, is not just what's most important. Like, is it, do, uh, am I not a good friend because I'm trying to make you aware of that? Do, doesn't that mean I, I really love you to tell you the hard things? This is, this is the same for all sins, right? Like, you would look at me and I would look at you and say, man, 
You need to think bigger than just right now. I promise you, sex is not the best part of marriage. I promise you. I promise you. It's a phenomenal part of marriage. But it is not the best part of marriage. There are better things in marriage. And so you can continue to think that that lust bug or that greed bug or that anger bug is going to go away when you do this. But the truth is it won't. So we need to be intentional and we need to go where Christ is. We need to have longevity of mind. We need to be Christians, not just now, not just in what Jesus has done, but we think ahead and we realize that Jesus has covered it all. He has covered what we've done, both the legalist, the licentious. We're covered under his blood and we respond really well to that. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for who you are. I am, uh, I am ridiculously grateful for your word. We sit now as a people who um, we want to follow you with all of our heart. And, and like Neverland, we, we forget, man. We forget. It's like it's making us forget what the truth is, what the real world is like, that, that we're not bodies with souls, but we're souls with bodies, that there's something more to this world than what we, we, we see and what we taste and what we touch. We forget that so quickly. And because of that, we revert to, to making you because of our legalistic tendencies. We make you in some way be in our debt. We, we, we try to, to earn you and, and Jesus, you hate it. You hate that. And yet some of us like we revert to our old ways like a dog returning to his vomit. We go to things that we know we should not do and we do things that we know we should not do and we say things we know we should not say and look at things we know we should not look at because the world is vying for our attention. It's trying to grab a hold of us. Jesus, help us. If nothing else, we rely on your word that you've given us to give us boundaries, to keep us pure. We rely on your spirit to remind us of the things in which Jesus said we need faith. Give us faith in that. We love you, God. We thank you. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.